0: If you have a Bible, I invite you to open it. Uh, we're going to be in a few different places today. You can go to John 16 to, to start. We'll be there quite a little while, but you can get there. We have, for the past few weeks, been doing a series of messages called Doctrine and Devotion. If you've been here for those, then you uh, know what, uh, what to expect Today. Uh, But we've been going through a series of of major doctrines that the Christian faith believes. And these are usually uh, words that end in ology. So we dealt with bibliology, dealing with the study of the Bible. Theology proper, the study of God the Father. Uh, Christology, last week the study of Christ. And today pneumatology, which is the study of the Holy Spirit. Our... Our interest has been to uh, communicate and to state what we say that we believe about a doctrine, about a teaching, and then to understand what does that mean? What are the implications of believing that? Uh, What does our our articulated belief, uh, how does that actually live itself out? Uh, The first uh, message that we preached, we talked about the difference between articulating or saying that we believe something and actually believing something. And the evidence of of which one is true is how we live, right? What comes out? uh, What does our, our belief produce? And so as we talked about the Bible, as we talked about God the Father and Jesus and now the Holy Spirit, we may say we believe certain things, but the evidence of our belief is in our actions. So how do these beliefs actually affect the way we live? Now, some of you may not um, care a lot about or think you don't care a lot about theology. Maybe some of you might feel like this is a little too um, um, theological uh, for, for, for a Sunday morning. Uh, but I want to appeal to you that the reason theology matters is because everything is actually theological. Uh, everything's theological. That the, you are a theologian. Right? Everything actually comes back to a, to a determination that you have all made. All of us have made a determination about God. You have come to a conclusion. Now, what that conclusion is based on, that's very different, isn't it? Some people come to different conclusions based on different uh, sources. Uh, our desire and our effort here at this church for decades has been to ground what we believe in the very word of God which is what we've been doing over the past few weeks and we will continue to do, Lord willing, until Jesus returns, is to ground what we, what we say we believe in what the Bible actually teaches. And so this morning, again, we ground what we say this morning in the very words of God. Last week, we, we referred to a, a survey called the State of Theology that was conducted by Lifeway Research, and it analyzed what... Evangelicals say they believe about the Bible, about God, about Jesus, the Holy Spirit, sin, eternity, etc. In relationship to the Holy Spirit, the following statements were were made, and they they were asked to agree or disagree with the, the following things. The first was there one true God. Uh, there is one true God in three persons: God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Seventy-one percent agreed, seventeen disagreed, and twelve percent weren't sure. The statement, the Holy Spirit is a force, but not a personal being. 59% agreed, 25% disagreed, and 16% weren't sure. If you read the first statement, there, are, there is one true God in three persons. 71% agree with that. But when asked if he is a personal being, apparently not all of them agreed with that. So there's a bit of uh, disagreement between the two statements. I'm not sure what to make of that. The Holy Spirit gives a spiritual new birth uh, or new life before a person has faith in Christ. 52% agreed, 29% disagreed, and 19% weren't sure. The last statement... The Holy Spirit can tell me to do something which is forbidden in the Bible. 21% agreed, uh, 60% disagreed, and 19% weren't sure. Uh, the Holy Spirit has been uh, kind of a difficult doctrine to, uh, to, to nail down for a lot, of, a lot of Christians. And the church's silence, or at least its underemphasis, on what the Bible does teach about the Holy Spirit has given a, a open doors to a lot of wrong teaching, uh, cultural assumptions, and an increased ignorance of what the, the Holy Spirit is actually even doing. And so left, left to our own you know, conclusions, we come to some very different conclusions than what the Bible uh, definitively does say, though it might not say all the things that we would want it to say. But this morning, I would like to address the topic or the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Um, pneumatology, I said it earlier, but the, the first part of that pneuma is, is the, word for, the Greek word for breath or for spirit. It's the study of uh, the Holy Spirit. And uh, if, if you've spent any time in, in any of these doctrines, to, to think that in one sitting we're going to do justice to the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is, is uh, silly, right? We're We're not. Uh, our 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 desire this morning is going to be to do an overview of sorts. On the Holy Spirit, and I say of sorts because even to do an overview in the time that we have, we can't include everything, anyways, right? So, so what we're doing today is is partial at best. And so, if if after the sermon you say, "Well, you didn't talk about," yeah, you're right. I, I probably didn't. Okay, uh, we we can't talk about everything. We're we're gonna talk about a few things. We're gonna try to state a few things uh, about the Holy Spirit, about who the Holy Spirit is, and what the Holy Spirit is doing, and then. What does that mean for us as Christians? So first, what do we believe about the Holy Spirit? We believe that the Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit's identity is that he is a divine person. And by divine, uh, we mean that the Holy Spirit is God. We mean that the Holy Spirit is equal to God the Father and God the Son in his divinity. Uh, we believe in a triune God. Um, we believe that Genesis chapter one verse seventeen, when it says, "Let us make man in our own image," is talking about the three persons of the Godhead—not three different gods, but three persons of one God. We talked about this last week, but we also used this—the uh, reference of Acts chapter five with Ananias and Sapphira, where we find out that their lying to the Holy Spirit was an act of lying to God as well. That when we lie to the Holy Spirit, we lie to God. There, there's equality there. First, there's gonna be a lot of scriptures today. First Corinthians chapter three, verse 16 says this. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? The Spirit of God, God's Spirit, God is the Holy Spirit. Jesus shows us this equality in the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, when he says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We believe that the Holy Spirit is divine, he is equal to God the Father and God the Son. We believe that He is an eternal Spirit. Hebrews chapter nine, verse fourteen says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purifying our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? When we say eternal, we mean that there's no beginning and no end. So the Holy Spirit does not have a beginning, and he does not have an end. That means the Holy Spirit has always existed. That means the Holy Spirit didn't just show up at Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit comes to to the New Testament church, that's not the the advent of the Holy Spirit. It's the beginning of something in the New Testament church that's new, but it's not the beginning of the Holy Spirit that would be new. His ministry uh, began long ago. In fact, throughout the Old Testament, we can chart the activity of the the Spirit as well. Additionally, we see that this Holy Spirit has power of the Most High in Luke chapter 1, verse 35, where um, Mary, has, having explained to her how, how she's going to have a baby, how she's going to have this, this Messiah, and the angel answered her and says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The Holy Spirit and the power of the Most High are used together. This Holy Spirit is God. You're in chapter 16, but if you just roll back to chapter 14, we find this, that there's another helper. The Holy Spirit is called another helper. In in verse 16, it says this, Now ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of Truth who the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be with you. Jesus is is speaking here and he uses this this word helper to talk about the Holy Spirit. It's from this word. uh, This word could could mean advocate or comforter or counselor. Some of your Bibles might say one of those. It comes from the Greek word parakleto. Para, you might think of words like paramedic or paralegal or parachurch. That means to come alongside, to come alongside to someone's aid. And so when Jesus is saying, we going to send another helper, another advocate, John, this is John chapter 14. John is writing here. But in the epistle of John, John first, the first epistle of John, chapter 2, verse 1, he calls Jesus an advocate. And here he's saying the Holy Spirit is an advocate. So what, what's being said, Jesus is saying this, that I'm going to send another, doesn't mean a different advocate, a different kind of advocate. It, it means the same kind. Right? So, so Jesus was leaving them, and he's going to send them this Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, who will be an advocate, a helper, a counselor for them. Him using another means to call attention to his equality. The Holy Spirit is divine, He is God. He is a person. He is a person. By person, we mean that the Holy Spirit possesses the attributes of personality, meaning intellect, emotion, and will. The Spirit is still a spirit, meaning he does not have a body, but he does have intellect, emotion, and will. Three verses to share with each of these. Intellect in 1 Corinthians, Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, Paul writes this These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Then listen to this for who knows the, the, a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person, which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. The Spirit knows. The Spirit has intellect. Secondly, the spirit has emotion. In Ephesians chapter four, verse 30, Paul again writing, says this, "Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. How could the Spirit be grieved if he has no emotion? Grieving is an emotion. Sorrow is an emotion. The Holy Spirit can be grieved, and he's grieved by our sin. The Holy Spirit is a person in that He has a will. In First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, all these are empowered by one in the same spirit who um, allocates to each one individually as he wills or apportions to each one as he wills. He makes a choice. He has a, he has a plan. He has a motive. He has an intention. Now, additionally, when we read these words here in John, in John chapter 16, Jesus is talking about the spirit and he does not refer to the spirit as an it. He uses a pronoun and the pronoun is he. Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit is a person. We can know, listen, we can know that pronouns mattered then and pronouns matter today. Some of you might not have got that. <clears throat> Scriptures are full of the accounts of the Spirit's activity, uh, of the Spirit's ministry, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Clearly, we do not have time uh, to go through all of those. So what, what follows is a, a selected list of things. We could have included different ones. You might say, well, why didn't you? Because we don't have time for all of them. These are, these are the ones that, that were picked. So what, has, what is the Spirit doing? What, what, what activity is the Spirit up to? Well, in the past, we know this, that the Spirit was involved in creation. In the book of um, 1 John chapter 1, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we looked at this. Uh, or last week, when we looked at the, the Son, we said this. Uh, John says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So what do we find out? That Jesus was in the beginning. That Jesus actually is the creator. That God the Father wasn't the sole creator. That the, the, the God the Son was there with him. What we also come to find is that they weren't alone either. That the spirit was there. And in Genesis chapter 1 verses 1 and 2 we read these words. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. We cannot split up the Trinity. We cannot split up the Godhead. Uh, when we say that God was involved in creation, we mean God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. They were all there. The Holy Spirit is the creator. All were present. All were active. The Holy Spirit is the creator. Secondly, the Holy Spirit was active in the incarnation. In Matthew chapter uh, 1, verse 18 Uh, We see that uh, that Matthew's gospel, again, talking to Mary, says this, Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came uh, together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was involved in the incarnation. God just didn't say, Jesus, go to the womb and that's how that's going to work. The Holy Spirit was actually involved in the conception of Jesus to make this immaculate conception even happen. The Holy Spirit was there. We already read from Luke chapter 1 of the Most High, the power of the Most High, that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was active in the incarnation of God the Son. He was there. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit was active in the written revelation of God's word. In a, in a very literal sense, the scripture, the written revelation of God, uh, was authored by some 40 different writers. That's, that's true. But they did so under the, the active working of the agent's, the revelatory agent, the one who revealed, the one who inspired the writings, that is the Holy Spirit. Listen to these words from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy can ever, was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along, or born along by the Holy Spirit. So those people who penned these scriptures, they did so enabled by or carried along by under the direction of the Holy Spirit. That's how they wrote down what they wrote down. That's how we got the scriptures we have today. The Holy Spirit was active in the written revelation of God. Those are, those are past tense things. Those are things that, that he, he has been involved in. As we move forward, we, we see things that, that he is cur- currently actively involved in today. Fourthly, the Holy Spirit is active in salvation. Uh, Jesus says this to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. The only way to be saved is through the Spirit. We'll talk about salvation, in, in the doctrine of salvation, in, in a couple weeks. Uh, but what we want to understand is that salvation is a spiritual work done by the Holy Spirit. Uh, we believe that salvation is an act of the Holy Spirit. Yes, we must believe, we must repent, we must place our faith in God. Those two things, though, are not Um, uh, they're they're not in conflict. To say that the Holy Spirit saves us and to say that we respond in faith are not two separate uh, conflicting truths. Both are true. The Holy Spirit does save us and we do respond in faith. We'll talk more about that on March 10th uh, when we discuss the doctrine of salvation. But for today, we want to understand this, that the Spirit of God is active in saving people. We don't save people. You don't, you don't save anybody. You don't, you don't do anything to, to get someone saved. God does that. What we do is we, we tell something. We say something. We share something. We are messengers. We are ambassadors. That's absolutely true. Heralds, yes, that's our responsibility. God does the saving. You, you, know, you know the weight that, that's lifted off the Christian when they understand that? You're not sharing the gospel because if you don't, they they might not get saved. That's not why you're sharing the gospel. If God wants them to be saved, they'll be saved, with or without you. So what's the opportunity? The opportunity is to participate in what God is doing. So the the act of, of the Spirit, the work of the Spirit, we get to partner with that by sharing this beautiful, wonderful, glorious message of the saving work of Jesus. And for those who have been saved, those who have trusted in Christ as their Savior, we can know this about the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit comes to indwell us. You were in chapter 14, and you heard these words read at the end of verse 17. Chapter 14, verse 17. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, Jesus is writing this before the Holy Spirit comes to the New Testament church. So this is before uh, things change for the New Testament believer. So we'll be with you is talking about after Pentecost. But what we can know today sitting on this side of Pentecost, we can know this, that at, at conversion... When, when God opens our eyes and we respond in repentance and faith, God tells us that his Holy Spirit comes to live with us, to indwell us, to reside in us, to take up residence in our lives. The implications of this are both profound and honestly mysterious. How that actually happens, we don't quite know. It's a spiritual act. It's an invisible act. It's not something you can see and touch. It's something that God does. But the presence of God is a very, very important theme in the Scriptures. As you read through the Scriptures, you see even from, from the, the early days of, of God's people, of God's presence being with the people was, was important. As they left, as they left Egypt, God, God was with them. and He, he manifested with a, a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. We remember the words of Joshua that, that, that are said, be strong and courageous, uh, do not be frightened, do not be dismayed. Why? For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. We remember when the, the Israelites sinned at Mount Sinai and the consequences, God says, I'm not going with you anymore. I'll send an angel, but I'm not going with you anymore. And how that, that was a problem. That's the thing that set apart the people of God was the presence of God. And if God wasn't going with them, Moses is saying, No, 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 we don't want to go. We don't want to go if you're not with us. That is the distinguishing mark of God's people, is God's presence. And he promises it over and over and again. And the prophets in Isaiah chapter 7 says that there'll be one who comes who is Emmanuel. What does that mean? God with us. And then what happens when Jesus comes? What does Matthew say? This one will be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And Jesus did. He came. He took on flesh, and he moved into the neighborhood, right? He came to us. And then now as he's leaving, in these verses of, of John 14, 15, and 16, he's talking about what's going to happen after he leaves. And he says, I won't leave you an orphan. I'll come to you. He's saying, listen, I'm going to send another another helper to be with you. And then he leaves, and the Holy Spirit comes And then we look forward to the day when we read the last chapters of the Bible when God comes to live and to dwell with us in the new heaven, in the new earth, in which righteousness will dwell. The presence of God is a massive theme for the people of God. The Holy Spirit is affirming God's presence in your life as a Christian. The Spirit is also active in the world as he convicts. Go back to chapter 16, if you're still in John. John chapter 16, we read um, a number of things here. We won't take time to read the whole passage. But Jesus, again, Jesus is getting ready to leave. And he's, he's preparing his disciples to leave uh, for his leaving. And, and, and he has things to say to them, things that they can't quite uh, get a hold of quite yet. And uh, join me in verse, uh, let's go to verse seven. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgments. One of the things that the Holy Spirit did when the Holy Spirit has come is to convict the world. He talks about three things of conviction He convicts the world of sin. He convicts the world of sin because, verse 9, because they do not believe in my name. Uh, when the Holy Spirit come, came, his ministry is to bring to light the sin in our life. That's what the Holy Spirit does. You would not be aware of your sin unless the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to it. So there are people who are living in sin and they're, they're, they're unconvicted by that for one of two reasons. One, either they don't know God, they don't have the Holy Spirit. Or number two, they they have so hardened their heart to God that they they no longer, what Paul talks about, they've, they've seared their conscience. They're so hardened to it that they don't even feel the conviction of the Spirit any longer. The Holy Spirit came to convict us, to convict us of our sin because we have not believed. In our unbelieving state, we need this conviction. Verse 10, he convicts concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you'll see me no more. What's he saying? He's saying now that he's off the scene, once Jesus leaves the scene, who, who, who's, who's telling people what's right and what's wrong? Who, who's teaching people? Who's instructing people? Who's leading people? Well, that's what the Holy Spirit came to do. The Holy Spirit came to do what Jesus was doing on earth, to instruct in righteousness. We'll see more of this in just a couple of verses. Thirdly here, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will convict of judgments. verse 11, concerning judgment because... The ruler of this world is judged. Through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, Satan was defeated. And his coming final judgment is certain. Who's going to convict the world of that judgment? The Holy Spirit convicts the world of that judgment. The Holy Spirit is saying, judgment is coming. That's not fear-mongering, that's telling you the truth about something. It's telling you that the judgment is coming and it is certain. The resurrection of Jesus tells us that Satan was defeated, that sin was defeated, that judgment is certain. We, we ought to be aware, we ought to be made uh, reminded again of when we see and we hear the gospel, the good news of what Christ has done, understanding this, that means that there is victory which will accompany. Which, will, uh, which judgment will follow because of this victory. The, de- the defeat of Satan should cause mankind to take notice of the power of God in the inevitable coming judgment of Satan, of sin, and of all those who remain unrepentant. The Holy Spirit convicts of judgment. Secondly, here in this passage, we see that the Holy Spirit guides believers. Chapter 14, verse 17, he calls this, this spirit, the spirit of truth. Uh, the spirit is, is convicting in the works of righteousness. We read that in verse 10. And here he continues, what, what does that look like? It looks like guiding them. Join me in verse 12. Still I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. What the Spirit came to do is to guide the believers to follow in what God had called them to do. Remember, Jesus is leaving. He's leaving the earth. He's preparing these disciples to live on earth without him. In order to do that, Jesus would send the Spirit that the believers would understand, would know the truth, and that the Spirit would guide them into all the truth. Uh, For these, these disciples very directly and very specifically, this would mean the ministry of of writing the scriptures. These would be some of the very men who would pen the scriptures that that Jesus is is speaking these things to. But there's a broader application, obviously, for Christians of how the Spirit is teaching and guiding us into God's truth. How the Spirit is giving us eyes to see, how to become spiritually discerned, because that's that's the way the the spiritual things are discerned, is discerned spiritually, so you need the Spirit. That's the only way you can understand. Why do people not understand the Bible who don't know Jesus? Because they don't have the Spirit of God. That, that's not somehow uh, being mean. That's not, that's not saying there's something wrong with them. It's just saying the only reason that we can see it is because the Spirit of God's opened our eyes. He's guiding those who have the Spirit. First Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 14, if you want to look that up later. The Spirit speaks whatever he decla- is, is declared to him by God. L- look at that back in, in verse, um, verse 13. And when the Spirit truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. What's that saying? It's saying the Holy Spirit isn't saying anything different than what God has already said. So back to our survey question. Can the Holy Spirit tell you to do something that the Bible forbids? No, he cannot. Why? Because the Holy Spirit isn't making up stuff. He isn't just telling you to do stuff. He isn't just tapping you on the shoulder in random, uh, non-biblical, counter, counter-biblical things. That's not what the Holy Spirit's doing. The Holy Spirit is, is pointing you back to what God has said. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing. He's guiding you into what God has already told you to do. He's not coming up with new things for you to do. He's coming up with with the things that God has already said. So many times we want revelation, we want the Holy Spirit to tell. God has told you stuff. The reality is that we're not doing what God has told us to do. Why do we think the Holy Spirit should reveal more? How about we do what, what he said first and then worry about additional revelation, which is not relevant, by the way. The Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. He does that because we are indwelt by Him. And as indwelt people of God, we are given gifts of God. We call these things spiritual gifts. And we could spend ample time on spiritual gifts. In, in, in not this Sunday night, but next Sunday night, we're going to talk a little bit about spiritual gifts. Um, but sufficient today to just to say that the Spirit does that, that, that you've given gifts. Of the Spirit, by the Spirit, for the glory of God. Additionally, the Spirit equips and He empowers believers to obey Him. Now, the Spirit isn't given just, just so you can say, I have the God with me. He, he's been given to you so that you can follow God. Jesus didn't come just, just, to, just to come, He came to bring together the people to follow God. Finally, verse 14 says, And He will glorify me and he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Yeah. There we go. The Holy Spirit glorifies the Son. Uh, The ministry of the Holy Spirit was to glorify Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit came to do. He came to point people not to himself. He came to point people to Jesus. That has immediate implications for you and me. If that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit, is to point people to Jesus, how much more should, should our ministries reflect that? How much more should, should my life not be about me, not be about me being known? But about Jesus being known. Jesus came so that the God the Father would be known and glorified. The Spirit came so that the Son of, Son of God would be glorified. And we, the people of God, have been called by God, inhabited by his Spirit, in order to make much of his Son. So what does this mean for us? How shall we then live? Three thoughts here. We live for the glory of Christ. If that's what, if that's what the Holy Spirit is doing, then that's what, that's what we are to be doing how can we do that? How can we actually know that we're glorifying God? Here are three scriptures. One writer calls these this, this a grid for evaluating whether or not you're actually glorifying God with your your life. The first is 1 Corinthians chapter ten verse thirteen. You know this. Whether you eat or whether you drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So first is all 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 to His glory. Is that true? Colossians chapter three, verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him, in his name. Are you doing everything in his name? If you cannot do what you are doing in the name of Jesus, you ought not to be doing it. Uh, Number three, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 14, let all that you do be done in love. All in the cause of loving, loving others, loving God. If what you're doing isn't about loving other people, there's questions about whether it glorifies God at all. The second application is we are to live with confidence in His Spirit. We are not alone. Christian, you are not alone. God is with you. Listen to Hebrews chapter 13, verses five and six. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Then verse six. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. God is with you. As Paul says in in Romans eight, if God is for us, who can be against us? God is with you today, brother and sister. Thirdly, we live in obedience to his teaching. That's what the Holy Spirit came to do, the spirit of truth, to guide us into God's truth. What does he teach? He teaches God's word. Listen to these words here. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. What is God doing? God's teaching us that we might become more like Jesus. That we would be more like Jesus. That more people would come to know Jesus. That we would be growing more in the likeness of Jesus. God, the Holy Spirit, sent by God, the Son, And dwells all those who, by grace alone, through faith alone, have come to Christ in repentance and faith. This spirit is active in the lives of God's people, leading and teaching, empowering obedience that Christ may be glorified in all the earth. Brother and sister, this week, the Holy Spirit goes with you. Not just for your comfort, but for your help. Help to, to glorify him, help to honor him. Friend, if you're here today, and you, you, you're just saying, "I don't know. I don't know what this. I don't know what this presence of God even is. There's a way for you to know. The way that we come to God is through the spirit. The way that we come to the God is through repentance and faith. And what God tells us at that time is that He comes to inhabit, to live with you. And then you can know it. You can know what it means to be, never be alone. You can know what it means to be comforted in your sorrow, in the midst of your sorrow. God is there. The Holy Spirit is with us. Let us pray. Father, we ask for your help for us to better understand the working of your Spirit in our life. Thank you for what the Scriptures do teach us about your Spirit. Thank you that uh, we can know things about who you are, about what you are doing. Help us to live in a way that proves that we actually believe that. We actually believe the Spirit's with us. We actually believe that our, 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 our um, motive should be to glorify you. And that we actually want to obey. Not because we have to, but because that is how we glorify the name of Jesus. May it be so in your people we pray. Amen.